The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Uh, today, we have somewhat of an experimental episode. Uh, I am not going to focus on a single reading, but a, uh, a selection of readings. And this is experimental for a couple of reasons. One is that this is less planned out than my ordinary episode, so I don't really know where it's going to go or how it's going to turn out. Secondly, there is a decision that I have, uh, that I continually have to face as a teacher, uh, which is uh, whether it's in high school or in yeshiva or in the content I produce, uh, you know, for online or for the podcast. The question is, how much do I talk about my personal life and how much do I speak in abstractions, <laughs> okay? And with the Stoic Jew podcast, and with Mishle in particular, those two areas, then I feel more, I don't know about obligated, but I feel that there is more of a reason to delve further into the personal because the whole point of those two subjects of, uh, of Stoicism and of Mishle is really to, to get down to the practicality of everyday living and to discuss ideas in a way where they impact our emotions and they affect the way that we live. And in order to do that, you kind of have to go into the particulars. So I'm, I'm uh, as you'll see, this episode, as you could probably see from the title, then this episode is going to be going a little bit into a personal, uh, into the details of my life in a little bit more of a way than I usually do. And also, uh, the other thing that makes this experimental is you know, I like to say that I am teaching primarily for myself, which is true. I do this because I benefit from it. But in this case, I really am making this episode for myself. Okay, meaning that that uh, that that's actually that's literally what is uh, what is prompting this is I need to I need to give a uh, a, a sheer or a class or a podcast on this particular topic in order to prepare me for what's to come. Okay, so without further ado, let me tell you what. This is going to be a. Uh, let me let me tell you where this began. Okay, so this began last Friday night. We had uh, uh, there was an onig at the house of uh, of one of my friends and the uh, and a lot of my students uh, and friends attended, and uh, two of my friends, Ari and Jesse, gave a, uh, a husband and wife tag team uh, talk about what to do when you're slighted by other people. Like, uh, what are effective ways of, uh, of responding to that? And Jesse led with a citation from Rabina Bachi Ibn Pakuda from Chovos Halavos, Duties of the Heart 5.5. So I'm reading from the Feldheim English translation here. It is related that one of the pious asked another, do you possess equanimity? Or I don't know, uh, I don't know exactly what Rabbi Bakia's definition of equanimity is, but for our for for our purposes, let's say it is uh, stoic tranquility. Okay, because <laughs> at least that'll be somewhat familiar to the listeners of the podcast. So it is related that one of the pious asked another, "Do you possess equanimity?" In what sense? He asked. Are praise and insult equal in your eyes? No. Then you have not yet arrived. Make the effort. Perhaps you will reach this level, for it is the highest level among the pious and the most precious of virtues. So that's the end of the quote. So Jesse explained that, that you know, we as human beings tend to, to seek praise and value it when we receive it. But when it comes to, to, um, to insult, then we 
either are insulted by it or we try to dismiss it or downplay it. And the point of the Chovos HaLevavos is that you cannot have it both ways, meaning either you care about what other people think, in which case you will be affected by, you'll be boosted by their praise and deflated by their insults, or you don't care what people think. And if you are someone who is, is getting, uh, you know, uh, receiving good feelings inside by being praised by people, so then that shows you're still attached to other people's opinions. And that means that you've anchored yourself to uh, a self-esteem that's going to be dependent on others. So the highest level would be to, the, to get to the point where you are, where to you praise and insult are equal, or if you want to put it in social media terms, likes and uh, and you know thumbs up and thumbs downs, uh, uh, good reviews, bad reviews, you know, uh, adapted to your uh, your uh, your world there. Okay, so as I heard this, I was thinking to myself, uh, where am I in relation to this level? Obviously, I'm not at the point where praise and insult are equal, because I do like praise. Uh, as much as the next person, <laughs> um, but uh, but I was thinking, you know, how how do I fall out on the spectrum? And what I realized was that to me, a lot of it depends on where the praise and insult are coming from. So to use two extremes, you know, I produce content that is publicly available online, and sometimes I'll get uh, people who who make a uh, a comment on a on a video or on a podcast episode or on a comment that will be disparaging. And uh, it's very easy for me to just shrug it off and say, okay, like this guy is, uh, this guy's an idiot, <laughs> you know, or, or the, this person, I have no idea who this person is. I, and I don't care about what they think. They're just some anonymous troll on the internet. So that's on the one side, on the one hand, on the other hand, I do care what people whose opinions I respect think. So if my Rebbe says something in praise of, uh, of, of, of what I've taught or what I'm doing, then I, I definitely feel good about that. And if, and if the opposite, then the opposite. So to me, it depends on who, who is doing the praising. And this is really what Marcus Aurelius says. Oh, I have to actually give credit before I, I start quoting from the Stoics here. So there's this excellent book called The Practicing Stoic, a philosopher's user's manual, sorry, a philosophical user's manual by Ward Farnsworth. And what he does is he, he, uh, he collates uh, excerpts from either Stoic writers or from writers who express Stoic ideas, and he, he groups them by topic. So I, 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 uh, as a result of this book, I've gotten a lot of exposure to a lot of quotations I wouldn't have ordinarily encountered in my own reading and learning. So a lot of these come from, uh, from, from him. So I just got to give credit where credit is due. So uh, Marcus Aurelius in Meditations, Book 7, Chapter 62, says, Keep constantly in mind who these people are whose admiration you seek and what guiding principles they have. Then you will not blame them when they carelessly offend you, and you will have no further wish for their approval once you look into the sources of their motives and opinions. So really, really what Marcus Aurelius is saying is don't pay attention to the fact that these people are praising or degrading you. Look at what their principles are and view their praise and degradation as a reflection of those principles. And it really should be based on their principles. And that's kind of what I'm saying here about the, the principles of this anonymous internet troll who, who makes a comment is very different from the principles of my Rebbe, who's one of the most intelligent and wise people who I know. And that's why I value them differently. Similarly, Seneca in letter number seven says to his student Lucilius, lay these words to heart, Lucilius, that you may scorn the pleasure which comes from the applause of the majority. Many men praise you, but have you any reason for being pleased with yourself? If you are a person whom the many can understand, your good qualities should face inwards. So this is part of a genre of, of Stoic quotations uh, and Stoic teachings that basically 
if you care about the praises of the many, of the majority, of the masses, so then that really is nothing to be proud of because the masses don't have values that are reflective of truth and intelligence. Um, and so if you care about that, like, is that you really want, like, would you want to be applauded by, I don't know, by babies, <laughs> you know, by people who are ignorant and, uh, and, uh, and have no actual knowledge of the good and the evil. So, uh, so, so he's discouraging Lucilius from seeking the majority of the applause. Okay. So then I was thinking about this. Oh, actually one more here. Uh, should I read this now? Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna read this yet. Okay. So let, let me tell you now why I'm making this episode. Okay. So, uh, I've lived in New York since 2002 and I have not gone home for Thanksgiving uh, for all these years. And the last, so the last time I've really had a Thanksgiving meal with family has been, uh, was when I was in 12th grade, which is in 2001. So this year for the very first time, uh, my dad is coming to New York and we are going to be, go my brother and I are going to be going to uh, have Thanksgiving with my dad's family. Okay. Now, uh, I, realize over the last couple of days that I have some degree of anxiety about this. Okay. Now what, why is that? So my, we, I grew up on the West coast and, uh, and my dad's family is all on the East coast. So of his family members, I've really, you know, my aunts and uncles and cousins, I've really only seen them and interacted with them on a handful of occasions in my life. Okay. And, and if you discount my early childhood life, then it's really like I could literally count them on on uh, on one hand, or in some cases on on <laughs> on uh, one or two fingers. So there are so there there are these family members who I have met and talked with on recent occasion. There are other family members who I've only spoken to. Last time I spoke to was maybe in a significant capacity seven eight years ago. Um, some people I have. <laughs> not spoken to, uh, I've, uh, there's, there's one particular family member who the last time I, uh, I saw him, he was, uh, one, he was one. Okay. He was one, uh, one year old and now he's in his twenties. Uh, and then there are uh, a couple of family members who I've never met and, uh, and who, ha and who have never met my dad's family. Uh, they've just, they've just not had occasion to, to meet up. And this is the first time we're all meeting. So when I first it was funny because I was, I was going through each of these family members in my mind and thinking to myself, why is it that with some of them I have anxiety about spending this Thanksgiving meal with and others I don't? Uh, and the funny thing is the ones who I have not met, uh, there are a couple who I have not met either, right? I, I mean, I'm part of my dad's family. Um, so there, there are family members who I haven't met and I really don't feel nervous at all about meeting them. Uh, and then these other people, uh, there are certain other people who I do feel nervous about spending this time with. So I was trying to think, what is it that's making me so nervous about it? And I realized that for, I'm sure a handful of, of reasons, I, I have some anxiety about what they will think of me. Okay. And I'm sure I'm this, I have not explored in terms of my own psyche, but where, where this is coming from, but just on a surface level, then, you know, I have a, a life and a career and a, uh, and you know, my, my, uh, my, you know, an identity. And this has really not been on their radar. And this is kind of a gathering of the family. And there's, there's this, I don't know, there's this feeling of, I feel like I have to amount to something in their eyes. Uh, and for whether that's rational or not. And I think part of this is, uh, is influenced by the fact that, that 
on when I was in my, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I can't remember if it was in my late teens or early twenties. Then, uh, as a background, my dad's family is not religious. Um, and so, uh, on whether I was in my late teens or my early twenties, then, uh, I, uh, we, we, you know, we met up with them. And at this point I had already converted to Judaism and our family was somewhat newly religious. And a couple of these family members, um, were actually verbally mocking our observance of, uh, of, of Halakha, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the circumstances under which we were there was the funeral. Again, I can't remember if this is the funeral. Uh, no, this was the funeral of my grandfather. So I must have been in my early 20s. And and so our rabbi from Seattle actually flew out uh, to to do the service, which was uh, amazing. And we had a meal with my dad's family. And and one of the family members went so far as to mock my rabbi, uh, the rabbi of the shul. So. I had, I think part of my anxiety stems from the fact that here I am, I am an Orthodox Jew. I am a rabbi, I am a teacher, and I've, uh, I value this life. And part of me is concerned about, is afraid, is worried, whatever, uh, whatever you want to use here, whatever word you want to use about like, what, what if they mock me? Like, what if this, these two family members, uh, uh, you know, exhibit this sort of like mocking attitude, uh, towards me. So then I realized, okay, now this is where the stoic, uh, pep talk comes in. Okay. This is to care about that is really insane. And what I want to do is I want to just read a couple of the passages that I found from the stoic writers, uh, just to, to flesh out this point before I, I revisit and, and, and talk about like the moral of the story here. So the first one is again, not from an actual, uh, stoic writer of the stoic school, but this is one of my favorite uh, quotations from Plato in Crito. So Socrates uh, says, then my friend, we must not regard what the many say of us, but what he, the one man who has understanding of the just and unjust will say and what the truth will say. And therefore you begin an error when you suggest that we should regard the opinion of the many about the just and the unjust, good and evil, honorable and dishonorable. So again, he, it's funny because he's saying uh, the same point that the earlier that the earlier citation said, which is, don't care about what the many say; they don't understand the good and the bad. Care about what the one man who has understanding of the truth will. Uh, 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 what did he say? Yeah, of the just and the unjust will say, and care about what the truth will say. So it's funny how he personifies the truth. Okay, so he's saying you should really care about what the truth will say. But now let's go on and read a couple more of this, uh, a couple more excerpts here. So Montaigne, also not a formal Stoic, in his book. Uh, of solitude, uh, that's the title, or his essay, it's not his book. He says, no longer be concerned with what the world says about you, but with how you talk to yourself. And Marcus Aurelius elaborates on this in Meditations 12.4. He says, I have often wondered how it is that though every man loves himself most of all, he gives less weight to his own opinion of himself than to the opinion of others. Evidently, we have more respect for the opinion of our neighbor. Uh, sorry, evidently, we have more respect for the opinions our neighbors hold about us than we do our, uh, for our own. And similarly, Schopenhauer, again, never, I've never read Schopenhauer in my life. This is literally the first time I'm reading him. He was cited by, uh, by Farnsworth uh, in, in, I don't know if this is a book, an essay, The Wisdom of Life says, most men set the utmost value precisely on what other people think and are more concerned about, sorry, and are more concerned about it, about what, so let me start that again. Most men set the utmost value precisely on what other people think and are more concerned about it 
than about what goes on in their own consciousness, which is the thing most immediately and directly present to them. They reverse the natural order, regarding the opinions of others as real existence and their own consciousness as something shadowy, making the derivative and secondary to the principle, and considering the picture they present to the world of more importance than their own selves. By thus trying to get a direct and immediate result out of what has no really direct or immediate existence, they fall into the kind of folly which is called vanity, the appropriate term for that which has no solid or intrinsic value. Okay, one more. This one is from Seneca's uh, uh, book, Natural Questions 4a. Uh, um, Whatever, I'll try to include the citations in the show notes. When you want to be praised sincerely... Why be indebted to someone else for it? Praise yourself. Say, I devoted myself to the liberal arts. Although my poverty urged me to do otherwise and tempted uh, my talents towards a field where there is an immediate profit from study, I turned aside to unremunerative poverty, uh, poetry and dedicated myself to the wholesome study of philosophy. After this, ask whether the things you said about yourself are true or false. If they are true, you are praised in front of a great witness, yourself. If they are false, no one is a witness to your being made a fool of. Okay, so after reading these things uh, this morning, oh, I forgot to preface this. So this morning, uh, I'm recording this right now at like 6.30, okay, on Wednesday, um, day before Thanksgiving, and I woke up at uh, 3.30, uh, and my mind was swimming with anxiety, which is kind of how I, uh, I knew that I had to make this recording right now. So uh, when I read these things, I I realized that uh, it just kind of reinforced the truth that I had already learned and known, which is that in a sense, the being concerned about what my dad's family will think of me is no different than being concerned about what some random internet troll thinks of me, <laughs> okay? And obviously, I don't mean that in, in the sense that I'm equating the, the two groups, uh, the two, you know, uh, in, in total. But what I mean is like, like, you know, these are people who who have no idea really about what what my values are, and uh, and to my mind, I'm convinced. You know, uh, they the, the, a lot of the values that their lives revolve around are are not things that I would value, uh, and so why should I really care about what they what they think? Um, and uh, and then again, in in light of uh, in light of this, I it really rang true to me what uh, Seneca wrote earlier. Uh, Many men praise you, uh, but you have reason. But have you reason, any reason for being pleased with yourself? If you are a person whom the many can understand. So, in other words, the very fact that they can't understand what Judaism is about, or what a life of learning is about, or even teaching, like the you know, it, it is like <laughs> that's something that very few people in the world can really understand. Of learning, you know, learning lishma, learning for the sake of of, of learning itself. And so, like, it really, it just kind of, like, was a, a, a wake-up call to me that my anxiety is really over over nothing. And and I think it would be different if I encountered these people a lot, you know, frequently, because then there would be an actual, you know, stimulus of facing someone who is going to be, uh, I don't know, insulting or looking down upon me on a, on a uh, day-to-day basis. Not day-to-day basis, on a more frequent basis, but what? Th- these are people who, like I said, I've encountered them only... You know, once in the last ten years, uh, or or once in the last twenty years, uh, and uh, and so really, it's just it, it it's it's nothing that I should really have anxiety about, and uh, it kind of reminds me of David Hamelach, uh, uh, or what Chazal say about David Hamelach, that he said, you know, he 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 praised himself for, or he was not praised himself, he was happy about the fact that he would talk about mitzvos. Uh, and in front of the non-Jewish kings, 
and they would mock him. And he said the more that they mocked him, then the more he was uh, delighted. And uh, and so what my understanding of that is, uh, I haven't actually gone back to look that up recently, so uh, I might be getting something wrong here, is that the mitzvot that we keep are of a completely different value system than the world understands. And therefore, when these kings mock him, it just reinforces his, his uh, it gives him occasion to reinforce his own valuation of these mitzvahs and to realize that, like, yes, this is why I keep these mitzvahs because I see the value in them. And the fact that they don't see it, really, that's a problem with them, not a problem with me. And, uh, and, and, you know, so he rejoices in that mockery. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I think, again, it, it, it's not easy. I'm not saying that this is an easy thing, but, uh, it is something that I do feel I have the capacity for, uh, and I'm kind of like talking myself, pep talking myself into this, uh, in preparation for, for, uh, for this Thanksgiving reunion. And I, I want to end with something that I've been, uh, that I've given a couple of shirim on lately, which is my understanding of tsnius. Now tsnius literally means modesty. Most people take it to be referring to modest attire, modest clothing. But uh, the term is used for modesty as a character trait. So there's a, uh, in Mivchar HaPaninim, which is a collection of of Hebrew and Arabic uh, proverbs that is often cited by the Rishonim on Mishle, there is a series of three questions uh, of Mahu HaTzniyus, what is modesty? So the three answers given are, number one, she is bayish adam me'atmo, that a person is ashamed from himself. Two, what is modesty? Hachachma, wisdom. And three, what is modesty? That a person does not do in secret what he would be ashamed of doing in public. Now, uh, if you just read that first one, a person is ashamed of himself, that sounds like a negative thing. Uh, and if you just read the second one, that modesty is wisdom, that sounds like, you know, uh, too broad of a definition. But when you put all three together... Um, then I think you get this idea that what is modesty? Modesty is when you do not define yourself based on what other people think. You define yourself based on your own conception of the truth. And your own your self-esteem is derived from your own your own ideas and your own values and the fact that you know you 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 are living a life where you have this knowledge and you have these ideas and you have these values and you're staying the course and uh and other people can praise you or insult you and that doesn't that neither uh, 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 lifts you nor nor uh, uh, knocks you down, uh, and uh, and so really, what the I think that circles back to that original Rubina Bach Ibn Pakuda quote, which is that once you've reached the level where praise and insult are equal in your eyes, uh, then uh, then that is one of the highest levels. Uh, that is true modesty, and I think this even circles back to what I was uh, thinking about that that. Do I care about what people who are wiser than me, what they think? So the answer is yes. Factually, it is yes. But what I think that that the next level within my grasp here is to recognize that my my grasp of the truth cannot cannot how, how should I say this? My my own grasp of the truth cannot outpace, outstep, overstep. Cannot reach. <laughs> All right, let me start again. My Rebbe, Rabbi Moskowitz, um, one of the many admirable qualities that he that uh, that uh, you know that I've witnessed many times in him is that someone could quote to him 
a great thinker of the past. Like, like Rabbi Moskowitz will say something and a student will say, oh, but Rabbi Moskowitz, the Rambam says, blah, blah, blah. Now, a lot of people in that position would, would say, oh, well, the Rambam says it, so I can't possibly hold something that goes against what the Rambam says. I'm kind of like characterizing it for a second. But what Rabbi Moskowitz would say is, so what does the Rambam mean? Um, and if, if the person who's asking the question couldn't explain what the Rama means and the, and Rabbi Moskowitz didn't see what the Rama meant, he just wouldn't be swayed by it, you know? So on the one hand, Rabbi Moskowitz is seeing that, yes, the Rambam, sorry, Rabbi Moskowitz is seeing that the Rambam has, is obviously a superior Chacham. He's obviously wiser than Rabbi Moskowitz, but all the wisdom in, in, in the Rambam means nothing unless Rabbi Moskowitz sees it with his own mind. So if he sees it with his own mind, so then he'll accept it. Uh, and if he doesn't see it with his own mind after trying, then, then the fact that the Rambam would think differently shouldn't deter him from holding his own opinions. So that's what I mean when I say that if there is a, 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 a Chacham, someone who I view as superior to me in wisdom, if he holds a view of me or of an opinion I have that is, uh, that is, you know, uh, looking down or, or disapproving. So either I understand what he is, you know, his reasons for looking at that. And I agree with them, in which case I will switch my own opinion. Uh, and then I'm responding to my own opinion, or I, I disagree or don't understand what he's saying, in which case, why should it matter to me? There are scores of people in history who have, who are wiser than I am and who I'm sure held or, or would hold opinions by which I would appear in a negative light. But am I going around worrying that Rabbi Akiva might look down on me who's been dead for uh, for 2,000 years? No, of course not. So in other words, at the end of the day, all I have is my own mind and my own grasp of the truth. And yes, I should practice intellectual uh, uh, honesty and, and thoroughness and learning from every person and seeking the uh, to enlighten myself based on what, what those who are superior to me think. But at the end of the day, all I have is my own mind. And that's really the only standard by which I, I can and should judge myself. Okay, so that's the end of my pep talk to myself. Uh, I, I'll see if uh, maybe I'll do a, a post-mortem uh, after uh, the Thanksgiving meal and see uh, see how I ended up reacting. Uh, it's possible I'm blowing this whole thing out of proportion. Uh, you know, future tripping. It's, there's a fine line between future tripping uh, or catastrophizing on the one hand and uh, and premeditatio malorum of, uh, of thinking about the bad things that can happen uh, and then planning accordingly. Uh, I, I think I made an episode about that, but we'll see what happens. If you have gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss, and my Zelle and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewes at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.